0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi,
1: I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large
0: of Recode. You may
1: know me as the person trying to fool facial recognition sensors with increasingly silly sunglasses, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview from this year's Code Conference. I talked to Andy Jassy, the CEO of Amazon Web Services, who has been at the company for 22 years. We talked about how Jeff Bezos has changed in that time, whether AWS should be spun off as an independent company, and why Jassy says the government should regulate but not ban facial recognition tech.
2: What we have recommended to the government is that. They put a constraint in place when law enforcement agencies are going to use facial recognition that they only use results that have at least a 99% confidence parameter and then only as one element of a human-driven decision, like one piece of evidence. And then at the end of the day, like anything else, with whether it's private sector companies or our police forces, you have to be accountable for your actions. You have to be held responsible if you misuse it.
1: You can find full coverage of this interview and everything else from the Code Conference at Vox.com slash recode. But now let's go to the Phoenician Resort in Scottsdale, Arizona to hear my interview with AWS CEO Andy Jassy. We're going to talk now with Andy Jassy from Amazon. Come on out. We're not going to talk about facial recognition, but since she just talked about this, I actually, I want to talk about your business first, and then I do want to get into that topic, because AWS has recognition, using yeah. K, for your product, um, and I do want to talk about that a little bit, but you, you've been at Amazon since you were a teenager, is that right? <laughs> you, you literally have been there 20-some 20 years. 22 years. 22 years. You started as, as an assistant to Jeff, or...?
2: No, I... I... I took my last final exam at graduate school the first Friday of May of 1997. I started at Amazon the next Monday, and I didn't know what my job was going to be, what my title was going to be, what group I was going to work in, but it was very important to them that I show up that Monday. Okay. I started off working in marketing. We just split up all the areas of marketing back then. They were all too big for each of us, mm-hmm. and that's what I started off doing, is, is running customer retention and competitive intelligence.
1: So, so it was very early. Why did you pick Amazon?
2: I, uh, People don't
1: know you. You run one of the most important business, the most important. Yeah. All
2: my experience leading up to Amazon was consumer-based, and I wanted a consumer company, and I wanted a place that was very entrepreneurial, and I wanted a place where if if I was able to help start a business, there was no ceiling to what we could pursue. And my then fiance, now wife, is from Los Angeles, and we lived on the East Coast for five years together prior to that point. And The agreement was to come out west for two to three years and then go back to New York. In fact, we wrote that agreement on a napkin in a bar when we made the decision to come out to Seattle, but that was 22 years ago. And my understanding is the statute of limitations on that napkin has expired.
1: Okay, all right, so you decided to go there because what attracted you to Amazon itself?
2: I loved the people. First and foremost, I was really taken by the people I met. They were um, really smart, really ambitious incredibly mission passionate and everybody you met at the company was so focused on customers everything they did started with the customer and all the strategies and tactics moved backwards from there and i you know i believe that we were we had the chance to build a very unusual business not just in books but in other product categories as well and i wanted to be part of it
1: Right. So, so talk a little bit about working for Jeff Bezos. He's changed a lot, but not really in lots of ways. Um, I remember meeting him back in the early, the mid-90s, I guess, probably before yeah. you. What has evolved in, his, in him over those years?
2: Well, there's so many. Jeff is so unusual and so talented, and uh, there are so many things that are impressive about the guy. He's unbelievably inventive. Um, he's a really big thinker. I mean, teams bring ideas to him, and they seem big, and then Jeff looks around another corner and, and, and makes it bigger. He has unbelievably high standards. You know, I worked for 18 months as what we then called a shadow. It's really like a chief of staff role. And I thought I had pretty high standards before I started that job, and once I did the job, I realized my standards weren't high enough. But the, the, probably the thing that's most impressive about Jeff is he's an unbelievable learner. Uh, he, uh, the way that he has evolved as a leader and as a manager and in the array and scope of what he works on over the last 15 to 20 years is, is very unusual. Okay,
1: you've already got the job. So what, what, what has he evolved into? What has he improved at? And what don't you like about him?
2: I think that...
1: <laughs> if you want. I think that... Jim Bankoff is too nice, but go ahead. That's yeah. my issue with him.
2: Uh, you know, Jeff, in, in the earlier days he was involved in in virtually everything the company did, every decision the company made. It was as a books-only and then as a Mm -hmm. retail-only company, that was easier to do. But anybody who's who's had a chance to um, build a larger business with many more people and many more market segments realizes that you can't be involved in every meeting and every decision as the company grows. And there are some leaders and managers who can make that adjustment because you have to build different mechanisms to still be able to see what's happening in the business without having to be in every meeting. And some don't make that transition. And he, he was really capable of finding a great leadership team being clear with them about what the objectives were, and then let them go around the business.
1: Yeah, you all haven't left. You've all the same group of people have been there yeah. forever. Why we're is that? Is it culty? What's going on there? <laughs> you know, Netflix is like has been like that too. A I,
2: I think that I think there are a few reasons. I think first of all, um, there are so many people who've been there, 20, 21 years, 22 years at this point that right wrong or indifferent they almost feel like quasi founders you know there's that type of passion and ownership and i think that we all believe that we have the chance to do something really unusual in business and it, it you know some companies are lucky enough to build an amazing customer experience in one market segment or business segment some do two it's rare that you do three like amazon has done and so i think we just feel like we you know our work is not done we have a great chance to build a lasting company that lasts all of us, and, and it's fun and interesting. Right. We get to be builders.
1: You moved to AWS, which sort of was the saving grace of Amazon because it was under, you were there during, I was covering for the Wall Street Journal, Amazon.bomb cleared, can this make money? AWS sort of changed the equation for you, for the company in that regard. It was a huge moneymaker. It created a, a lot of support for everything else that now is working really well. Can you talk about that transition for you?
2: Sure. I was working for Jeff in this chief of staff role, and we had this idea um, to explore a business where we built infrastructure technology services that together comprised a platform that allowed other companies to build their technology applications right. on top of. And we con- well, there were a number of things that made us think the idea might be a good idea, but probably the biggest one for us was that we felt like we were moving slower in our consumer business and delivering software than we wanted. And When I went and spoke with a lot of the different product leaders, they said, look, I know you guys think these projects should take two to three months end-to-end. We're spending two to three months just on the storage or the computer, the database, the analytics, and nothing. We're building scales beyond our own initiative, and we're all reinventing the same wheel. And even though that's fairly obvious in retrospect, at the time, that was a big realization for us because... Amazon is a very strong technology company. We figured if we had that problem, probably lots of other companies did too.
1: Right, and so you did this and in a pretty empty field. No one else seemed to follow you. Now that everybody is there. But did you wonder why nobody followed you into it? Because when I talked to Sundar about why they didn't, he's like, oh, we forgot. We essentially, that's essentially what he said.
2: Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, I, when we were... We were working on defining the services, hiring the team, defining the services, and building them for about two and a half Mm -hmm. years in between when we had the idea and wrote the vision document and got approval, and when we launched our first service in March of 2006. And it was actually quite difficult to hire the team without telling anybody what they were going to be working on. Mm-hmm. And we were trying just to get to launch without our friends across the lake knowing...
1: Microsoft.
2: It. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we felt at that time, Amazon was not known as a technology provider to companies. Mm-hmm. We felt like it was really important for us to be first to market to have a chance to be successful. So we, um, we, I, was, I was hoping we could just get to launch without anybody else knowing and beating us to, uh, to the market. And in my wildest dreams of the many surprises we had, I never imagined we'd have a six-year head start. And so yeah. I don't know exactly why others didn't follow. I, I think I think for some of the older guard technology companies, our model was very disruptive to their existing businesses and it's really hard to cannibalize yourself. And so I think they kind of wished it away. The
1: Oracles. The, the
2: Oracles and the IBMs and the, you know, I, I think it was, it's hard when you have an existing business that's working, it's hard to cannibalize it with a model that, that is much lower margin. And I think that some of the other players um, you know, probably were distracted with other things they were working on, and then their, their initial attempt at the business turned out to be the wrong abstraction. It tended, up, it tended to be a higher abstraction when builders really wanted the individual building blocks to construct and, and stitch together however they saw fit.
1: Well, that's changed. They did catch up. They are starting to catch up. Now you have Microsoft, you have Google. Um, how do you how are you going to differentiate yourself? It becomes now a much different. What's the strategy yeah. in order to... We
2: have a, a pretty significant market segment leadership position in this infrastructure cloud computing space, and there, there are a few reasons for it. You know, I think the first is we just have much more functionality by a large amount than anybody else, and we're also iterating a faster clip. So when you actually look at the details, that gap in functionality is widening. And that turns out to really matter if you're an enterprise or or a government that's going to move all their applications to the cloud or if you want to be able to unleash your builders to build anything they could imagine. The second thing is we just have a much larger ecosystem of partners around our platform. It's not just the thousands of systems integrators who build practices on AWS, but most ISVs and SaaS providers will adapt their software to work on a technology infrastructure platform. Few will do two, hardly any will do three, and they all start with AWS just because of our leadership position. So you get to move to the cloud with a lot more of the software you want to use. And then the third thing that's pretty different is that We're just at a a different operating maturity than these other providers, having been at it. Well, you said that. You said there's no
1: compression algorithm for experience. Yeah,
2: that's an expression we use. That sounds great,
1: but it is Google and it is Microsoft. These are not small players who don't think this is an important business. it, It turns
2: out it's really different running large-scale infrastructure for yourself and your company where you get to tell everybody the way it's going to be mm-hmm. than it is for running it for millions of external customers with every imaginable use case all over the world where they get to use you without any warning. It just forces a different type of operating discipline and rigor. And, and you can see that borne out in the operational performance of the different clouds.
1: We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back to this interview with Amazon Web Services CEO Andy Jassy after this.
0: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: So, what percentage market share do you have now? You have? I
2: don't know the answer to that. We're the only ones. I know. I I really don't. Yeah, you do. We're the only ones that disclose our infrastructure cloud platform numbers publicly.
1: twenty-five billion. Is that right? Was that 25 billion? Is
2: that It's a 31 billion dollar revenue billion. run rate, growing 41 percent right. year over year.
1: Right. So that's pretty good. That's pretty. Good. So where do you see the competition? Do you, which one of them do you worry about? Google or Microsoft? I would I, imagine Microsoft. You
2: know, we we don't we don't spend a lot of time worrying about oh, better. Oh, that's you the know other that, Oh, god. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think that. God, you can't in, do that. In my opinion, um, you know, we're pretty early in this space right okay. now. Okay. And I, I don't think they're going to be, in the infrastructure technology space, I don't think they're going to be 25 winners because scale really matters. Right. But there's not going to be one. The market segments that we address in infrastructure software, hardware, and data center services globally, it's trillions of dollars ultimately. So it's not going to be one. There are going to be several successful players. And, yeah, you know, I, I do believe Microsoft will, will have a business there. I think they're building a business and they're... Um, you know, they're the clear number two player at this point. And I think there'll be other players who are successful as well.
1: How do you assess Google's efforts?
2: Well, you know, I, I, th- I think they're... Um, They've had
1: some ups and downs. Uh, Diane laughed. I think they're working at it. Yeah, working at ups and downs or downs.
2: I think they're working at the business. Yeah. You know, and and uh, we'll have to see over time how big the business ends What
1: about be. smaller players? Do you see it? Where would be the threat from, for Amazon Web Services? Well, I think that in all
2: of our businesses, there are startups that none of us know about today that have the ability to disrupt. And, and there are, if you think that technology changes the last 10 years have been disruptive, and I think they've been unbelievably dynamic, I think the next 10 years are going to be faster than the last 10. And so there's all kinds of new technology that'll evolve that give people a chance to build businesses and, and, and pursue various segments. And so I don't know exactly who they'll be in our space, but I'm confident there will be.
1: So what areas do you find the most promising of what you're offering in the features? And I will get to facial recognition. Yeah. Uh, when I wrote your PR person, he's like, what's that? Like, recognition? I don't think he said that. He was a joke.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, there are so many that we're excited about. Uh, you know, I think that one of the obvious ones, machine learning and AI, I think most applications... In the fullness of time will be infused in some way with machine learning and Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. I think that when people think about, often people talk about hybrid uh, infrastructure, which they mean today to mean some on-premises and some in the cloud. I think that in 10 years, when people talk about the on-premises part of hybrid, they're not going to be talking about on-premises infrastructure and servers, all those are moving to the cloud. The on-premises part is going to really be devices. Mm -hmm. There are going to be billions of these devices sitting in our homes and our factories and oil fields and agricultural fields and cars and planes and ships, you know, everywhere. And those devices are going to really need to use the cloud to do large scale analytics and then push the predictions to the edge on the devices themselves. So we're really excited about the edge and IoT. That, that's,
1: that's a worldwide sensor network.
2: Yeah, the, and those sensors. By definition, have disproportionately small CPU and disks, so they really need the cloud to help them um, be effective and make decisions and do analytics. We're really excited about voice as well. You know, I think that uh, when we first had apps on our phone, it was so neat to in a few taps, and you had all this information. And when you use great voice apps, tapping on a phone feels so circa 2009. And so, you know, I think that voice apps have the potential to really revolutionize a lot of our customer experiences too.
1: Okay. Um so let's talk about that the idea when you think about the world like sensors everywhere that then would come into the cloud, right? This this is
2: Well they feed data to the cloud. They
1: feed yeah. data to the cloud, but people are nervous about this. First of all for the the devices themselves. Now you don't run that division, the 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 Echo division, but it's an important part of Amazon's future. Mm-hmm. Um, you have those there, and there's been all kinds of stories, whether by accident or not, and I'll use Nest as the example, they just happen to have a camera in there that they forgot to tell you about, a- and things like that. People get nervous about this idea of sensors to start with, um, but they, but, and then moving it all up to the cloud for it to be used by various companies that yeah. you help create. Talk about that concept of well, how you sort of assuage people that this is not a freaky thing. At
2: the end of the day, whatever company you're using a product or a service from, you have to trust them. And, uh, and if you don't trust them, you shouldn't use them. And, uh, you know, the Effectiveness of sensors on devices is that they're collecting all this information. And today, all that information is, you know, historically it's just been wasted. Nobody's been able to analyze it. Nobody's been able to see what customers are doing to provide a better customer experience. So the promise and and uh, the capabilities you can provide customers is really amazing, but you're going to want to make sure whoever you use that you that you understand their uh, um, their rules on privacy and how they ma- manage their data, and you have to believe they're going to keep the data secure. And if you don't trust that company, then you shouldn't use them.
1: All right. Speaking of that, talk about recognition. Yeah. it's gotten a lot of people are worried about this. There's the idea. There's some uh, glitches today. This is nothing. This was not you. Custom and Border Patrol seem to have lost a lot of license plates and faces of people, millions and millions and millions of, of data, because of one of their companies that they used to do this got hacked, had a malicious hack, and so now everybody has pictures of people crossing, and there's millions of border crossings happening at any time. Talk of, And then recognition, you had some police issues... You told them they didn't get the the settings weren't quite right. Can you talk about why sure. you all did recognize? Well, explain what recognition sure. is for those. Um,
2: so facial recognition technology, you know, it allows you to kind of look at a, a set of, of faces and compare them to a data set of other faces you look at and see if there's some kind of match. And each result that you get has a confidence prediction level. And so, um, you know, some results the system is very confident about and will have a 99-plus percent um, confidence prediction and some will have less confidence about it and will have a lower prediction number. And, you know, I, I think the issue around facial recognition technology is a real one, and I, and I understand why people are concerned about it. And we're concerned about it, too. And, and I, if you knew what a lot of the you know senior leaders at Amazon spend their time on when they're not at work. Mm-hmm. They spend their time on, on issues of racial equality, and people are very passionate about it. I spend a lot of my time on that too, so I care a lot about it. But I really strongly believe that just because technology could be misused doesn't mean that we should ban it and condemn it. And if you look at, um, just look at what you can do with computers and with servers. Look at what happened to Sony a few years ago where Mm -hmm. they had their email systems hacked into and all the um, corporate emails exposed. If you'd banned computers and servers, think about what a a different world we live in today. Yeah, but you don't have to go to that, come on. No, but I'm just saying, new technology, there are ways, actually, not even with technology, you, you could use a knife in a surreptitious way. Like, there are things that you can do that you have to trust people to act responsibly with. And so when I look at facial recognition technology at our recognition service, in the two and a half years that we've had the service out there, there's been a lot of societal good done. You know, Thorne, the organization Thorne is using it to fight human trafficking. And um, we have organizations that are reuniting missing kids with their parents through recognition or better security solutions or identity solutions or education solutions and in the two and a half years we've had the service out there we have not had one report of misuse by law enforcement
1: wait there was some problems they had
2: there right? it wasn't a problem there was a there was a reporter that did a report on a police organization that used recognition but they didn't use it inappropriately and they didn't do anything they, there was no misuse report or anything like that they were interested mm-hmm. in how they were using it and they were experimenting with it and you know but all that said I actually understand why people are worried about it. And we we give very clear guidance to our any of our customers who are law enforcement organizations, who may use the service in such a way where you might impinge civil liberties. We strongly recommend that they don't use any results that aren't at least ninety-nine percent confidence levels, and then only as one piece of a human-driven decision, like any other piece of evidence. And if people violate the terms of service, we suspend them from using not just that technology, all of AWS, but if you want more protection, which I think is totally um, reasonable, we should the federal government should regulate it, and, right. and they should have ramifications if you misuse the technology. I, I think
1: and one of the things people read about I, I, you get that is that it's just a, a police force that is already not doing a great job at all, starts to get their hands on this stuff and misuses it is not out of the realm of possibility, given the behavior of so many different law enforcement agencies. Nothing is
2: out of the realm of possibility. It's not even just, but
1: it's very in the realm of possibility.
2: Look, I mean, if you look at, uh, there are lots of ways that you can get an investigation wrong and that have been gotten wrong over time. But I think simply because you could get it wrong doesn't mean you should ban the technology. And I, I really think, though, that people are looking for that, those extra set of protections around the federal government um, uh, explaining how they want the technology to be used and having real ramifications <laughs> if you misuse it. And I wish they'd hurry up because if, if they don't, what's happening is you're going to have 50 different laws in 50 different states and you're going to have some that overreach. What would you
1: like from the federal government in that? I, you know, First of all, um, you don't believe it's a violation of civil liberties to have your picture taken without consent.
2: I think that we, we, we believe this both with pictures as well as video, that people should actually have to disclose they are somewhere. They have to disclose that they actually do have some kind of surveillance, and I think that's a good policy for both video and for photos. And uh, what I what we have recommended uh, to the government is that, um, They put a constraint in place when law enforcement agencies are going to use facial recognition that they only use results that have at least a 99% confidence parameter and then only as one element of a human-driven decision, like one piece of evidence. And then at the end of the day, like anything else, with whether it's private sector companies or our police forces, you have to be accountable for your actions. You have to be held responsible if you misuse it.
1: And where do you play that role? Do you just kick them off of AWS? That's your your whole... If
2: we find that... It, look, we can't put people in jail. That's not part of the purview of... Not yet.
1: Doing. Go ahead. <laughs> Amazon jail is coming soon to Prime. Uh. <laughs> just ignore me.
2: <laughs> what we can do is give very strong guidance. Mm-hmm. We also are offering... Police forces free training so that we can help them uh, learn more about how to use the service in case they feel like they want to learn more uh, and they and they don't they can't understand it from the documentation in some fashion. But we, we really would like to help train more and more of the law enforcement agencies using it. Um, and then if you yeah if you, if you use the service inappropriately, you're not going to be able to use our platform.
1: All right, getting into the same the controversy, thing is Amazon. You move moving heavily into government, working with government. Yeah. There's been objections by different companies, at like Google, for example, in Maven. What is the level of objection at your company towards the work you're doing? Not as, it's not as significant.
2: No, I'm, I think if you have a, a company like we do with 625,000 people there, you're going to get every possible opinion you could imagine, which I think is great. I think that it makes us a better company and we get better ideas on the table. But by and large, the vast majority of the company um, is supportive of, of um, serving the government. And I, I think, importantly, if, if our government doesn't have access to all of the most modern, sophisticated technology that the private sector has, we're in trouble, both in light of what the government has to get done and, and the role of this government's place in the world. So. We, we intend on continuing. Continue to, to
1: do that, and yeah. you've been getting some pushback from other companies like Oracle and others.
2: Uh, not about that.
1: Not about that, but that, but 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 in terms of, of of competing in this space, what yeah. changes when you're doing this?
2: What changes?
1: Changes for Amazon because people know you for other things and not yeah. this.
2: Well, you know, I think if you want to have. Uh, a public sector business, with you know we have a we have about 5,000 government agencies worldwide using AWS and about 10,000 academic institutions and about 25,000 nonprofits. You have to provide enough value that changes the equation for what these organizations can do for their constituents, and because the cloud allows them to meaningfully save money um, and to move much more quickly. Uh, to provide better customer experiences for their constituents, and then to spend their scarce engineering resource on what really differentiates the mission instead of the undifferentiated heavy lifting of infrastructure, uh, we're having a lot of success.
1: Do you have any debates internally about, I know Mark Benioff is, and I have talked about this a lot, the, the pushback that he got working just for Customs and Border Patrol, not ICE itself. Do you think about that, providing services when things are happening at the border? Is that Because tech companies, now look, everyone's in the business, but tech companies have put themselves out there. Is More.
2: Yeah, I think at a high level, the way we think about it is that we want to provide the government with the ability to have the same technology that our private sector customers do. No matter what they're doing. Well, they have to act responsibly, and they have to be held accountable if they don't act responsibly. And I think that's true across government um, in everything they do.
1: Do Have you pushed back on anything? It, it, uh, you, you do, do you do work for ICE right now?
2: We don't. You know, I, I, as a matter of policy, we don't disclose customers who don't <laughs> give us the right to reference them, which may mean they're not customers or they just haven't given us permission. Right. But uh, we, again, we will serve the federal government and they're going to have to use the technology responsibly.
1: But there's no government agency you wouldn't work for? Unless it's the go- Defense Department. Is no. there something they're doing? You would just...
2: Any, any government department that's following the law, we will serve.
1: Okay. Um, okay. Well, that's, that's a lot of them. We're going to take another break now, but we'll be back after this with Amazon Web Services CEO, Andy Jassy, live on stage at the Code Conference. Let's talk about regulation. You have this business that's growing astonishingly, um, and you have clients like MLB, NASCAR, Netflix, and obviously you compete with, uh, I think, it's Snapchat at Google.
2: Yeah, we have Snapchat as a customer
1: You have a Snapchat as a customer, right. One of the things, obviously, government is... You're interested in government, but government is interested in Amazon right now in probably a way that's a little different. Um, There's a lot of questions of the FTC looking into Amazon. I think Facebook and Google are sucking up most of the auction, but Amazon is the third one that's often mentioned around antitrust and things like that. Are you surprised by this?
2: I don't know if we're surprised by it. I I think that when you're able to build multiple customer experiences in different business segments that people really respond to, your business is going to get larger. And I think as your business gets larger, there's going to be more scrutiny and we expect it. And you have to run the business to be comfortable with that, which is the way we've tried to do it.
1: So do you expect... What ex- regulation are you yourself expecting? One of the questions is whether AWS should be spun off. You and I have talked about this, and it, when we last talked, you said, I don't see any reason for that. Yeah. How do you feel about that now?
2: I feel the same way. I mean, I... I I just don't see it. I mean, I would never say... one of the
1: biggest businesses around.
2: Yeah, I would never say never about anything. I just don't see it. Typically, when companies spin off subsidiaries, it it's either because they want to get that company off the financial statements or they just can't afford to fund the new business the way it needs to be funded, and
1: mm-hmm.
2: neither, the, neither of those are the case. So I, I just don't see it.
1: Do you see any benefits to spinning it off?
2: Not really. I mean, I, I think that AWS customers shouldn't want us to spin it off because... What they really want us focused on is providing highly secure, highly operationally performant services where we're iterating at the rate we are right now, over 2,000 services and features a year we deliver. They want more capabilities. They don't want us distracted with um, building a new financial systems or an ERP or an HR system or doing analyst calls or earnings calls. There's a distraction in Mm -hmm. in spinning off an organization. You don't
1: want to do analyst calls. Well,
2: I mean, I sometimes end up doing some analyst yeah, do. conversations. But, uh, but no, I, I think that we'd like to stay focused on providing capabilities. So are customers. there
1: any benefits to doing that if you're not forced, say, by the federal government?
2: Not, not that rise to the, you know, to outweigh the benefits why of staying it, Why together. does
1: everyone think you're going to do it? I don't know. Right, because you keep saying you're not.
2: I know. I'm obviously not being compelling enough.
1: Yes, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> compelling. What if the government forces you to? Well, I mean... You're the obvious candidate to spin off, I, possibly. Uh, I think.
2: Again, I, it's, it's, I can't speak to what the government's thinking or, or will do, but at the end of the day, you know, we operate in the United States, and mm-hmm. we will follow United States law. So right. if we were forced to do it, I guess we would have to do is, it. Is
1: that a big worry within the top... You're, you're one of the top three executives at Amazon, right? It's you, Jeff think like, There's just a couple of you that are running the most important businesses. Is it something you all talk about a lot?
2: We don't spend a lot of time talking about it. We're very aware of it. And what we really talk about uh, as it relates to this topic is that over the last five years, as the scale of the company has gotten so much larger, it's, it's kind of amazing the way the business has grown, not just the, the revenue part of the business, but just the number of people at the company that...
1: How many do you have at AWS?
2: We don't publish that number, but it's tens of thousands. It's, right. it's a big team, and, and it's growing really fast. And we, we just talk about the fact that while we don't necessarily know of anything imminent, just as you get bigger, you're going to get more scrutiny. And so we just have to make sure as a group and as a leadership team, we, we run the company such that if people want to inspect more closely, we'll be proud of it.
1: Mm-hmm. So how do you deal when you're getting, say, Trump starts tweet. Trump is, seems obsessed with Jeff Bezos in some fashion, and Amazon itself, and keeps calling it Amazon Washington Post. What did you think when he bought the Washington? You thought, oh, shit. What
2: did you? Th- <laughs> I'm not good for Jeff, you know, you? Um, uh, and and I think good for the media business because yeah. I think just, nice as step. you know, you know this better than me. There's a yeah. lot of change happening, yeah. and, and uh, I'm impressed with what they've done. But um, you know, I think that. The only You can only control what you can control, mm-hmm. and anyone who's, who's worked in a business knows that. And we have been a business through several administrations, and the thing that we have tried to stay focused on is customers and doing what's right for customers over a long period of time. And in any short period of time, there are lots of things that can happen. But if you do the right things for customers over a long period of time, usually things work out. And that's the way we think do, about does it.
1: Does the company get bothered by those attacks? Because they're frequent. They, they happen.
2: Uh, you know, I, I'm sure we don't prefer it, but but, um, at the same time, it's really, it's not a big distraction internally. You know, we were really, early on at Amazon, you know, if you look, for instance, at our stock, um, it has always been, you know, very up and down, Mm -hmm. and Jeff used to say constantly, you just can't be distracted by what's happening in the stock market at any one time. If you think you're 30% smarter when the stock is up 30%, you're going to have to think you're 30% dopier when the stock's down, and that's not such a pleasant place to be. And so we have, we have always had a lot of attention um, on the analyst side and the press side, and the company's, by and large, been pretty good about staying focused on what matters most long term
1: did you you were not involved in the headquarter were you going to put part of the headquarters of aws there the second headquarters or the third whatever you people were calling it um uh, <laughs> headquartered to... i just I, I thought it was a bit of a circus but um, what did you did you, were you surprised by the backlash at amazon and it, this wasn't something that was your responsibility necessarily but you're at the top echelons of this the, company the backlash the backlash against the, new york, new york yeah. yeah
2: i think we were surprised you know i i think that there was a lot that changed in between when we made the decision to do it and when we started to take action in starting it. And there were um, there were different politicians in place and there were, um, you know, different people whose voices were really being most listened to. And, you know, I think it's a shame for everybody involved. Uh, I think it would have been good for New York um, and, we, and we were excited about it. But when you start a, a second headquarters, and, we, you know, to your point, it was two second headquarters, one yes. in Virginia and one yeah. in New York, when you start one of those, it's a lot of work and energy to put 25,000 people in a new location, and it's just hard to start one of them when there's that much vitriol. Um, okay. It's not the right place to put your employees. So we were surprised by it and disappointed by it, but we, you know, we still have 5,000 employees in New York City, and we'll continue to grow. and And Virginia is is really excited and supportive about the you know, the 25,000 person.
1: So is Second there going to be another border. headquarters, too?
2: We don't have a plan for that. We're going to no. have a, a, some amount of people in Nashville, which we've announced, but,
1: right. we, don't but that's not headquarters we don't plan three. to
2: replace right. New York City.
1: Right. Why do you need another headquarters, may I ask? I found it. Yeah, it's... Well, when you're Besides entertaining us with mayors acting like <laughs> horses' asses, but go ahead. <laughs> the mayor thing, come on.
2: When... Uh, uh, oh, you ignore me. It's I'm not favorite. ignoring you.
1: Yeah, no, it's okay, I like it.
2: I'm enjoying your comments, All right, Cara, okay, as good. <laughs> You know, uh, when you're growing at the rate that we are across yeah. the number of businesses we are, you can't convince everybody to move to Seattle. You have yeah. to have talent uh, all over the country and all over the world, and so we were trying to find, and we have teams in probably about 20, 25 different cities around the world, mm-hmm. and we were trying to have a few places where we had our largest number of employees right. because it makes it easier to do the right career development sure. and move people around. And so. Um, we were trying to pick places that we thought had great talent and and uh, and where the cities would want us to be there. And um, we're excited about Virginia.
1: And in terms of the greatest challenge you face, being a you're a CEO of Amazon, right? You get the CEO title within it, and you don't want to spin off. What is the greatest challenge you think you face is just getting more of the business or capturing more of the market share or keeping up with innovation? There are so many. You are essentially C. You are you have, are running your own company within a company. Yeah. Uh,
2: there are lots of challenges, and um, if you look at AWS, even though it's a $31 billion revenue run rate business growing 41% year-over-year, year, cloud computing, public cloud computing, represents just about 3% of the total workloads in IT. So the overwhelming majority of these workloads live on-premises. So we are so early in our space. So we have... We have a lot of um, countries that we haven't expanded infrastructure into that we will need to. We, we're building a pretty big field you know, uh, of sales account managers and professional services and support, but we're still not um, at the uh, coverage levels that we need um, to help customers all over the world the way they'd like and we'd like. We have loads of new services that we're gonna build, lots of new technologies that we're um, pursuing. I and mean, we're, we're so early in our business You know, and I think that probably, you know, one of the big things that we all think about as well as leaders is just the culture. You know, I think one of the real secret sauces of Amazon the first 24 years has been the culture that we've had and the leadership principles that we we feel really passionately about. And I think that one of the things that's hard as you grow, um, both in size as well as as geographic diversity, is making sure you keep that culture intact and consistent and strong. And so we've worked really hard Well,
1: since you mentioned it, diversity, diversity. You don't have the most diverse company that I've ever
2: seen. Diversity is incredibly important. Um, you know, if you're building products that have broad appeal like we do, if you don't have diversity in builders, you're not going to build the right so, products. And and so we're working really hard at it. Um, you know, we've made a lot of progress the last few years, but we're not where we want to be. Um, and I think the tech industry in general is not where
1: we Why is speak. that? Why Amazon is, you guys, I think it's because you've all been there and you're nobody's leaving for some reason. Like there's not I openings mean, up. I
2: mean, some of it, when you look at something like some of the senior most leaders, you have a lot of longevity there, which has really helped the company. But you're also right that it makes it harder to move into those. But we have some unbelievably strong women leaders of the company. I mean, if you look at Teresa Carlson, who runs our public sector business in AWS, complete superstar, and Stephanie Landry runs um, Fresh and Prime, and Maria Renz, who runs our delivery experience, and Tony Reed, who runs the Alexa experience. We have, we have really strong leaders, but know, I, I, I think that in general... Tech companies, most tech companies have been focused on hiring more women, understandably, and I think we're all making progress even though it's not where it needs to be. I think that women look like a pretty dominant majority compared to African American people mm-hmm. inside tech companies. I mean, we, we we have to do better and we have to be more inclusive and if you look at where the, the economy is headed and where the opportunities are in our country, there are um, significant so segments why aren't of the population. We're working at it. It just, it just takes time. We have to you know, you have to develop more leaders and you have to actually be recruiting in the right places. And, you know, we're working hard at it, but, we, we, you know, it's a work in progress for us.
1: All right, last question, then we'll get questions from the audience. Do you want to be CEO of all of Amazon? Oh, well, <laughs> I, you know, we Say Jeff decides he wants to go to Mars. which he I guess?
2: Yeah, I, I don't think Jeff's going anywhere anytime soon, and we're real fortunate about that.
1: So you're not like Tim Cook or something like that?
2: You know, I again, I, I haven't thought anything about it. You know, if and when it becomes something that's a real possibility, then I'll think about it. But I have enough things to think about without imagining scenarios that aren't real.
1: All right. Okay. Good, good answer. Good answer. All right. Questions from the audience? Right here. Go ahead.
3: Hey, Andy. Uh, Jason Del Rey from Recode. I cover Amazon. you all. Um, <laughs> first, I'm based in New York City, so when you decided not to put your HQ2 or 3 in New York two. City, I, I lost out on... 25,000 potential sources, so thank you for that. Um, I'm sure you're happy. Uh, Mike, I-, I wanted to ask about some of the employee pushback to um, recognition, uh, facial recognition software. And there was an all-hands meeting in the fall where there were questions asked of leadership about marketing the technology to um, law enforcement in general. And uh, according to a transcript that of your response that was published in BuzzFeed, I'm going to paraphrase. You said something like, "There are a lot of opinions. You know, that's great, but we feel really good about this and really good about the way law enforcement is using that." And I heard from several employees myself who felt like that was dismissive of their concerns. So my question is, um, what would you say to those employees who still feel like their concerns about the technology have not been taken seriously?
2: Yeah, well, I would say a few things. First of all, what what I said at that all-hands meeting is almost identical to what I said when Kara asked me the question earlier. And, you know, I look, I think that um, one of the leadership principles that we hold most dear at Amazon is have backbone, disagree, and commit. And what that means is that you're not only empowered to disagree and speak up if you disagree with something at the company or a customer experience or whatever it is, but we expect you to, and and, and we celebrate that. But then at a certain point, the leaders have to make decisions on where we're gonna head as a company. And when we make those decisions, we expect people to disagree and commit. And, and if that's that can be about a customer experience, experience issue, it can be about pricing, or it can be about the decision that we're gonna to continue to offer facial recognition technology to law enforcement or agencies. So it wasn't meant to be dismissive in any way, it was just trying to answer the question.
3: Okay. Hey, Andy from Swoop. Last time you and I talked about culture on a plane to Aspen, you had just over five billion in revenue, and I have six times more. You said that it's really important to keep the core principles of Amazon intact, but has culture changed in some other way in this six-fold growth? And is the culture at AWS in any way different than other parts of Amazon? I think the
2: culture in AWS is quite similar to the rest of Amazon. And uh, you know, and I think the culture has in the meaningful ways is largely the same. You know, we really think about how we're running the business in AWS as running a large startup. And we have a little bit more process than we did when we first started AWS, but we really operate in a way where we, we start with the customer experience, that is always paramount, but then we all believe the speed disproportionately matters to our customers. And, and I think that's true, by the way, in every stage of your company, for every size company. Sometimes I think larger companies get this wrong and think the speed doesn't apply to them, especially if they have a pretty significant market segment leadership position. But just look at the Fortune 500 since 2006. More than half of those companies aren't in the Fortune 500 anymore. Business changes is fast. So we, um, the culture is very much um, the same, very customer-focused, very biased for action. We have very high standards because our customers have high standards and expect that from us. I think the biggest differences today from when we spoke when it was a $5 billion business is that back at that time, we didn't have much of a sales function. It was, it was pretty small at that stage and uh, we had lots of customers all over the world who wanted our help and we just didn't have enough people to do it and, and that has changed significantly from that
3: time. Uh, Andy uh, Mark Mahaney at RBC. I think you actually would really enjoy analyst calls. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, you made that question. You made that statement about three uh, percent, maybe of workloads uh, or workloads that could be in the cloud or in in the cloud today. That's the that's the lowest number I've heard in years. Is there something that you've seen as you built the business over the last couple of years that makes you think that the TAM has grown materially? That's that's a very that's great penetration if it's true. Yeah.
2: What, what I was saying was that. If you look at all the IT workloads or applications that exist in the world, only 3% of them are in the public cloud right now. All the rest of them are on-premises. And so I think that that is changing at a very rapid rate. I mean, you can just look at the evidence of our business growing the way it is and some of the other companies who are also growing in the space to see that. But I think some of the things that that are changing that fast are, number one, if you don't have to lay out capital expense for servers and for data centers and instead get to spend that as you consume it on infrastructure, it's hugely useful. So you get to turn capital expense to variable expense. That variable expense is lower than what you can do on your own because we have such a large scale. We've lowered our prices on 72 different occasions in the last 10 years, largely in the absence of competitive pressure to do so just because it's just part of the DNA of how we operate. So, And you get true elasticity. So you don't have to provision ahead of time and then live with the peak if you guessed wrong or too high. You, you give back what you're not using. So the cost equation is very compelling. But the number one reason that companies are moving so fast to the Cloud is because of the agility and speed in changing their customer experience. In on-premises, if you want to try something new, it takes you 10 to 18 weeks to get a server. Uh, and then you have to build all the surrounding infrastructure software around it. In the cloud, you can spin up thousands of servers in minutes, and then we have 165-plus services you can mix and match and use in whatever way you want. And so that changes the way you can get from an idea to implementation in several orders of magnitude. So just the cost and the speed are compelling companies and enterprises and governments at a faster rate than they ever have considered before to move to the cloud.
1: One more question, very quick, sorry.
2: Sure. Uh, Andy, com- congratulations for building such an amazing business. I remember when reInvent was about a thousand people. I wanted to ask you about cybersecurity. My, my name is Joav Leiterstorf. I had a firm, a, a VC firm focused on cybersecurity. And actually, half the companies we fund are doing cloud security. And um, I guess part of that is because the cloud providers aren't taking care of all the issues that there are in security. And I'm, you're doing a Reinforced this month. I'm just wondering what 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 are your plans, and are you going to continue to support an ecosystem of uh, vendors, or are you going to try to do it all yourself in security? Well, uh, reinforce just for people that know is is a new security conference that AWS is doing in a few weeks in Boston, and and you know what I the way I would um, explain it is that uh, AWS is responsible for making sure that the infrastructure that we provide so our. Our um, servers, our data centers, our network, and then all of our services like compute and storage and database and analytics, and machine learning and messaging, that all of those services are secure. And then our customers, when they're using that infrastructure, they build applications on top, but they have to do some things themselves to make sure that their applications are secure as well. If you if you exposed your credentials on you know, GitHub, it doesn't matter what we do with the infrastructure, people can get into your application. So it's always been a shared responsibility that way. And there has been, for many years, and continues to be, this very vibrant, expansive ecosystem of, of third-party so, uh, software providers in the security space we are helping customers in every imaginable way with security. And some of them are doing it at the application layer, and some of them are helping them be more secure on the infrastructure itself and setting up permissions and accounts and guardrails the right way. But that is a very big business where you have a lot of third-party companies having a lot of success in partnership with us.
1: All right. Andy, thank you. You're such a good sport. Thank you so much. It's good to see you. Thanks again to Andy Jassy for joining me on stage at Code. And thanks to you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. And my producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey, Hey, ESJ. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants with Jason Del Rey. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.